How's it going today, guys? Back here in the studio once again for another episode of Hot Takes with TP3. It's just me today. Unfortunately, Kobe or anybody else couldn't be with us, but I'm going to hold it down for y'all. Got some pretty good takes for y'all, but let's get right to it, man. What did I tell y'all all season long, all day long, all day since the first game? Rockets will bounce back. They'll be fine. They'll do what they do. They just didn't do what they did the first game of the season, and that's exactly what happened. The Rockets played amazing defense, guys. They made Steph Curry give the ball up. I mean, yeah, Kevin Durant scored 37 points, but it is what it is all all their role players stayed out of foul trouble and they produced the way they needed to. We didn't have Ariza getting that fifth foul and having to go to the bench early and said he was able to stay out there and defend. And I mean, it just comes down to what I've been telling y'all. The Rockets hit the most threes of any team in the NBA. They went out there, hit 16. They averaged 17 or I mean, uh, 15 threes per game. But I mean, yeah, they took 42 threes, but hitting 16 out of 42 threes is huge. That's 16 extra points you're getting right there. And the Warriors only hit nine. They were nine of 30. So, I mean, they're both Rockets shot a higher percentage from them and hit seven more three pointers. I mean, that's a ton of points right there. That's a huge difference. The Rockets took it at them and did what they wanted to. What did I tell y'all? Eric Gordon... Ariza, PJ Tucker, Capella, all of them need to play better. I mean, yeah, Capella only shot the ball three times last night, but he had 10 rebounds. And I mean, he also had zero blocks, but he did what he had to do. But PJ Tucker, my junkyard dog, absolutely showed out yesterday. Five of six from three, eight for nine from the field, 22 points. His first 20 point game all season long coming last night. He came up huge. This is a Houston team, man, that when they play like this, they're going to be tough to beat. You got your role players playing well, you got your starters. Uh, Mute, you know, it just shows to me how good of a coach Mike D'Antoni is. Mute missed about 10 easy shots last game, did the same thing last night. He was one for five, missing all kinds of wide open layups. What do you know? He only played seven minutes. I tweeted out he needs to be so far down the bench. He has a different zip code from everybody else, and that's what D'Antoni did. He gave him the different zip code. The Rockets absolutely dominated this game on the re- on the boards. They out-rebounded him by 11, 47 to 36. I mean, it's just what you want to see, man. This is a Houston team that's been dominant all season long, and they did what they did. I mean, Harden and Paul didn't exactly play the best games you've seen them play. I mean, Paul only had 16 points and six assists. Harden had 27 and three assists. He also had 10 rebounds, though, but nine of 24 shooting six for 14. Not great shooting from them, too. But when these role players play like this, man, this is a scary Houston team to watch. Obviously. I don't think the role players will play, score this many points. Those superstars, Harden and Paul, will score more because, I mean, they kind of had off nights. Harden averaged 31 a game. Paul, I think, averaged upper tw- upper mid-20s. So, I mean, both those guys are going to get their average and take some of those points away from those role players. But they got the production they needed from them, and it was fun to watch, man. Now, from a Warriors side of things, the, they have absolutely exposed Steph Curry. They just took the ball at him and just kind of bullied him. They said, okay, Steph, we know you're not that great a defender. Let's see what you can do. They said, okay, Steph, let's make you give the ball up. Let's make other people shoot the ball. Steph still shot the ball 19 times and was only 7 for 19. They were all over him. This reminded me of the way of Cleveland defended Steph Curry, and it's what you love to see, man. They made KD do everything. I mean, KD had 37 points or 38 points. You can't ask for much else for Kevin Durant, but they still couldn't get the win last night, and that's because... 
Houston forced them into the hand they want them to play in. I mean, Clay Thompson was three for 11. They even frustrated him. This was an excellent outing by by Houston, and they absolutely dominated this game from head to toe. Now, do I think they'll come out and do this every game? No. We have a series on our hands here, guys, and it's a serious series, too. I mean, Golden State's going to come out firing next game. I'm actually probably going to pick with Golden State to win next game, but I still like the Rockets in seven, man. This is a resilient team, and they got everybody rolling. Yeah, they're going to play like that, like they did in game one and lose every now and then, but I mean, that's how Houston's played all season when they lost the way they played in game one. So, I mean, this is a typical Houston game we saw out here in game two, 127 points. When this team is locked in, they are locked in, and there's nobody in the league stopping them. This is what you want to see, guys. The Rockets are back. I think next game that the Hamptons five won't be seen out there more. We saw guys like Jordan Bell uh, and Zaza get some minutes finally. I mean, they didn't get any minutes in game one. JaVale McGee's still been yet to see, so we want to see a little something from him there. I don't think Houston should change anything up. I think they should keep going with their going with maybe swap some of Umba Mute's minutes for Joe Johnson just because you know Eric Gordon's not going to drop 27 again in the playoffs like that. I mean, you know what you're going to get from Gerald Green each night, but I think that that's kind of what you want to see right there. Maybe give Joe Johnson a few more minutes. He got four in garbage time last night. Give him a few more try to get him involved a little bit more but if you're Houston just keep doing what you do baby play iso ball shoot threes but if you're Golden State you got to figure out a way to make to hurt them and make them take bad shots I mean they shot a terrible percentage in game one and that's why they lost they shot like they did in the regular season and they whooped y'all's ass in game two so it's gonna be fun to watch guys this is gonna be one of the best series we've seen ever I think like I was telling y'all before the series all right guys so let's go take a look over at the Eastern Conference where we got Celtics Cavs going on and obviously I know y'all looked at the box scores I know y'all watched the game the Cavs need production out of people like besides LeBron and Kevin Love LeBron had 42 Love had 22 so I mean you're getting the production you need out of those two obviously Love could be a little more efficient but it was really those two versus all Corver's been good from three all postseason long as he was again but they got to get more points from everyone else when I look down this box score I see the Tristan Thompson is eight points on four or six shooting. I mean, that's not terrible. That's what you want from Thompson right there. But you got George Hill with three points. I mean, that's awful. J.R. Smith's 0 of 7 with zero points. A big fat goose egg from one of your starters in the playoffs. He actually had more uh, technical fouls than he did points. I mean, that's just absolutely awful. I like seeing Larry Nance out there with some energy minutes. Another goose egg from him. But, I mean, he's just like Tristan Thompson. You only really want shots in the paint. But Jeff Green has six points on two or five shooting. Um, got Kyle Corver, four of eight, two for five from three. I mean, like I said, Corver's doing decent there. One of two from Rodney Hood, big fat zeros for anyone else. So, I mean, the Cavs aren't using much of a uh, rotation here, but they're just not shooting the ball well at all. They finally hit some three-pointers. Them and the Celtics were both exactly 10 for 31 from downtown, but... The Celtics, quite simply, are just hitting more shots, moving the ball better. They just look like the better team here. You got such a good um, job of, disp- of uh, spurting out the points and uh, throughout the whole entire team. I mean, this team is just an excellent team. I like how they switch people around on LeBron, but I mean, Marcus Morris is, wasn't lying when he said he could guard LeBron. I don't know if y'all have seen the stats or not, but he's held LeBron to like four for 20-something shooting against him, which is crazy. I mean, he's been absolutely locking LeBron up. He's been shutting him down. I mean, he said he could, and if you look at the stats from the regular season and past times he's played LeBron. He's pretty good at defending LeBron, man. He was not lying about it at all. He's done a great job on him. I mean, Marcus Smart to me was the X factor in this game. He had a plus 21, plus minus. He played 31 minutes for you off the bench when he was only three of nine shooting, but he had nine assists, 11 points, 
four steals. That is huge right there. Four steals and five rebounds. I mean, he was doing everything. He was like the junkyard dog for them with the way he played. But like I said earlier, the Celtics weakness is on the road and they have not played well. I feel like that home crowd just gets up there for everyone and hypes them all up. Now, these Celtics young players with Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum have been absolutely balling out this postseason. Both of them look like super suit look like superstars for sure. I mean, I think the Celtics should question if they want to trade Gordon Hayward or not and try to keep both these guys around long term. Definitely some food for thought there. Personally, I would keep around Hayward just because he's a little bit older. So they're probably going to end up letting Jalen Brown go. He has two years left in Boston after this season. So obviously, it's not much time left for him there. But at the same time, the Celtics still got two good seasons. I'm probably picking the Celtics to come out of the Eastern Conference next season for sure. I just feel like the way they've been playing, man, is so good. And they've got all this young talent around them. Um, I think that LeBron can still win this series, though. I mean, I think that trading Kyrie Irving was kind of the Cavs' way of keeping themselves out from winning the finals at all and winning the title this season. Got a little stat here for y'all that y'all are going to like about what happened since the trade. So basically what the Cavs got ultimately for this trade when they could have had Paul George for Kyrie Irving yet instead they fired Dan Gilbert and hired the new GM. You end up getting Jordan Clarkson who didn't play in game two. You get George Hill three points in game two. Rodney Hood two points in game two. Larry Nance Jr. no points in game two. I mean that's just not what you want when you trade a superstar like Kyrie Irving which is an obvious state you got to get some sort of production or something back in return for him. The Celtics or the Cavs basically just gave Kyrie Irving to the Celtics and got nothing back. Obviously, they got Isaiah in that, but they're getting no production here in the playoffs. And ultimately, I think they could lose LeBron in the offseason. Obviously, there's still lots of moves the Cavs can make with that eight pick and everything else that they have with Kevin Love and other assets. So it'll be interesting to see there what they do. But going back and looking at this series in general, I mean, I still think LeBron can win the series. He won that game six against the big three and ultimately ended the era of them in Boston. So, I mean, I don't see why LeBron can't go back home to Cleveland and defend home court. He's played well at home on home court all all postseason long. I mean, he had winner go home game seven and got the dub, obviously. I think it was BS how they fouled out Miles Turner on that terrible call. I think that completely changed the game. But LeBron's definitely not done, guys. And we're going to see a lot more from him. I mean, like Tristan Thompson said before last game, he's going to play one of his best games yet. I mean, you can't ask for much more than LeBron than what you got. I mean, 42 points. Can't ask for much more than that and 10 rebounds and all the other stats he has. You can't ask LeBron to play much better than he has been. You have to get production out of somebody. If any of these guys have anything in the tank, they're going to need it from him. But I also feel like playing at home, role players are more comfortable. They step up. They play better. Like I said about Marcus Smart, he played better at home in this series. And the Celtics role players all play better at home, like Scary Terry and stuff. So, I mean, I expect it to be the same thing for Cleveland. I expect J.R. Smith to show out. Corver showed out all playoffs. I expect Kevin Love to show up. And I expect one other one of them to show up. And I think that guy is probably going to be Tristan Thompson and Jeff Green. I think those two guys will step up as well and I feel like those will probably be the Cavs about six-man lineup. Maybe if we can get a, something from Clarkson or Rodney Hood. If Clarkson or Rodney Hood could do something. The Cavs would be in business because those two guys can score the ball and Cleveland's been lacking so much on the offensive end. They've shot two terrible percentages so far in this series. They shot 43.5% in this one. They were under 40% last game. So I mean the Cavs need to step their shooting up. I think it'll go up at home. So it's going to be an interesting series. I just feel like the Cavs are outmatched with these big men. I just don't think they can guard Horford when he goes off the dribble. I don't think they can guard Morris. I feel like LeBron has to play five. I know I've been or four. I mean, I feel like I've been saying this for the last couple podcasts, but I still think that's the same thing. I feel like the Celtics versatility out there. I mean, Aaron Baines hitting more three pointers in this in last series than he did in the entire season. I mean, he's shooting the best percentage of anybody from three point range in this play 
playoffs. So, I mean, I just feel like that the way the Celtics have these versatile big men, the Cavs big men can't really guard them, and that's what's killing the Cavs. They have no defense, really. There's defenses being exposed. The playoffs is where you can get by with a team like the Cavs has, but your team will get exposed eventually in the playoffs, and that's what's happening by Brad Stevens. He's exposing all the weaknesses in the Cavs, which is what great coaching does. I know we've talked about how good of a coach he is so many times. Honestly, I think it's disrespectful he didn't get a single coach of the year um, vote, but it is what it is at the end of the day. I mean, this is going to be a fun game. I'm kind of hurt we don't have basketball until Saturday, but it's definitely going to be fun to watch, and I'm excited to see what happens. All right, guys, so to cap off this podcast, we're going to talk about a little something that y'all know I love talking about, one of my favorite topics, which is NBA draft. I actually just released a mock draft on Twitter about 30 minutes ago or so, so, I mean, go take a look at that. Obviously, this episode will be out a little bit later, so it'll be about two hours ago by the time this episode gets out, but just released a mock draft. Um, I have DeAndre Ayton going number one at center. Um, I think that Luka Doncic, who I have going number two right now to the Kings, is actually in a position here uh, where he kind of has leverage. He's going to get drafted by kind of who he wants. He's going to say, let's say the Kings take him and he doesn't want to go to Sacramento, which I think is a very high chance of it happening. He's going to say, oh, well, I'm just going to stay overseas and play. So, I mean, teams are going to be like, damn, well, I just wasted my second overall pick on Luka Doncic and he wants to stay overseas and play for a little while. So, I mean, he definitely has leverage to do what he wants. He can always be like, trade me and I'll come back over and all kinds of stuff like that. So it's definitely interesting to see what he's going to do here. He holds a lot more power than players have in the past, which is what's good about being a good overseas player in the NBA is you got power kind of to negotiate where you want to go. But I'm still kind of in a toss up here for the Suns taking Aiton or Donkic. See, I feel like Aiton makes more sense just because if you look down their roster, they kind of need a big man. But at the same time, I really like Alan Williams, a guy who missed basically this whole season due to an injury. I want to say it was meniscus that he tore. He pretty much missed the whole season. But he was an undersized center who proved, though, that he was athletic and could rebound a lot and did a lot of good things for the Suns. So I feel like they can, I like Devin Booker a lot as well at, as a majority ball handler. I don't know if y'all saw the splits when he got upgraded, though, to majority ball handler. I know they held Booker out a lot. Like, anytime Devin Booker had a hangnail, oh, he's out the next 10 games. He's on my fantasy team, and it killed me. But he had a stretch where he was averaging over 30 points per game and where he was absolutely balling out per night. I was actually in process of doing a segment for y'all about how that, since he had become majority ball handler, how he was absolutely balling out, and the Suns had been playing a lot better. But that was back when I was only doing one podcast for week, so I could only use so much content each time. I didn't want to do three-hour podcast. But that's besides the point. But I'm telling y'all, Devin Booker is amazing as majority ball handler. And I feel like that you don't want to move him out of that. But at the same time, Donkic is a better passer than Booker is. Booker is just a pure scorer. I mean, Booker and Donkic is that one, two could be an amazing combo. And like I've been saying, I don't think a rim protector is necessarily like the most needy thing you need in the NBA. You need players who can shoot threes in this uh, day and age, like Hamptons fives, prime example. I mean, the Rockets are kind of prime example. I think Alan Williams is the kind of guy who could be like a Capella and snag a lot rebounds for you obviously can't defend the rim quite as well but the Suns also pick again at 16 in the first round so I mean they could go get Robert Williams uh, Mitchell Robinson there's lots of big men they could get there at that position to fill the need and get them an extra center so I mean not necessarily do they have to go with eight and so I definitely think Donkic is a good spot at number one as well I don't think he it's, it's definitely up for debate I haven't fully made my mind up yet but 
him and Booker would be something else doing leech a scoring duo like that on a backcourt. Then you got Josh Jackson, the athletic three, two, who can honestly like he could definitely be that lock somebody up kind of linky defender. If you can get a better three ball, excellent three and D player. I mean, that's what you want right there. The Suns could have a serious team here in a couple of years. I love the young talent on this roster. I follow five teams in the NBA. They are the Hawks, the Rockets, the Suns, the Blazers and the Cavs. Obviously, I follow a lot of these other teams closely too. all the good teams pretty much. But I follow those teams extremely closely. And the Suns team is a fun team for me to watch. So I look for them to be real good moving forward. But going back to more things down this draft board, I could definitely see the 76ers and the Cavs, uh, one of those two teams trading, uh, not necessarily saying that they're going to trade with each other. But I could see one of those two teams packaging together that pick with another player to already get established talent or to move up more in the draft. Most likely they get established talent. I really don't think the Hawks, Suns or Kings will trade their pick. Grizzlies, probably not either. Um, the Mavs are iffy if they're going to trade their pick or not. Um, I could see them possibly doing it, but I also think they're going to end up taking a player. They don't really need a point guard. So I, th- I y'all know how I feel about Trey Young. Y'all know I think he's going to be a beast, but I actually have him right now in the mock dropping to sixth to Orlando, which I think anybody who goes to Orlando, I feel like right now it's kind of where young talent goes to die. My boy Jonathan Isaac got no playing time on their team. I feel like if you're going to be as bad as they are, why not give him more playing time? I mean, they didn't do anything with Aaron Gordon. They traded Victor Oladipo for nothing, traded Serge Ibaka, or they traded him for Serge Ibaka, then turned around and shipped Serge Ibaka to Toronto for nothing, so essentially trade him for nothing, kind of like how the Kyrie trade worked out for Cleveland. So, I mean, there's lots of big things going on here in this draft. It's definitely going to be interesting. I feel like Cleveland should use that number eight pick if they don't trade it to take Colin Sexton if he's on the board or a Mo Bamba or Jaron Jackson Jr. They need a defensive player, even Mikel Bridges or Miles Bridges, honestly. All those guys are really good defensive players, and they can shoot the ball a little bit. Obviously, Jaron Jackson Jr. is really raw, but I mean, I feel like he's already going to come in the league and snag 10 rebounds a game and get two blocks per game. So I feel like he's already kind of that. He's going to have the defensive paralysis. Same thing with Mo Bamba. We know how lanky he is. I don't know, though, if he's ready to play big minutes. He's definitely got a lot of question marks. Jaron Jackson Jr. and Mo Bamba, to me, have probably the highest potential of players outside of Aiton and Donkic and Bagley. But... They also have extremely high bust potentials, so those guys are definitely huge question marks, but who knows? You could cash out with them. I definitely don't think the Cavs, though, should take Trey Young if he's there. He's not good enough at defense. They don't have any defense. It'd basically just be like bringing uh, Isaiah Thomas back. I think Trey Young is that kind of score and ball-dominant player, so I also don't think he'd work well with LeBron. I know I've said before I thought they should bring him in and LeBron should hand the keys to Cleveland to him, but it's become very obvious that Cavs lack defense, so they got to go with a defensive player here in this draft and see what they can get. Um, I think the Hawks, like I've said a million times, should try to combo Dennis Schroeder along with that 19th or 30th pick. I mean, I think Dennis in the 19th pick could possibly get that Cavs pick for us. I mean, possibly maybe a Bulls pick. I mean, both those picks could possibly get the Bulls. Maybe the Knicks. The Knicks like Schroeder a couple times. Maybe send him Schroeder in, in 19th. I mean, obviously, I'd rather give up the 30th, but if we have to give up the 19th, it is what it is. Um, I don't think, though, no matter what, the Cavs will take a pick with this 30th uh, overall pick. I think that pick will get traded no matter what y'all know how teams like to trade back in there um 
I think the Clippers will try to get in the top 10 with these two picks. They could also trade DeAndre Jordan. Obviously, though, he's not signed moving forward, so it's kind of a one-year deal. If they could potentially re-sign him to a longer deal, I feel like the Cavs, if they can retain LeBron to stay around, they could say, all right, well, we can trade the eight pick for one of these two Clippers picks and DeAndre Jordan. I mean, that's a pretty good trade. You already get an established rim defender, and then you get another pick right there where they could take a guy like Kevin Knox, possibly Mikel or Miles Bridges. I mean, maybe they could even force both picks and a one-year contract from DeAndre Jordan. There's one more year with LeBron, so, I mean, that's also another option there, too. I mean, there's lots of things that can be done here with these picks for the Clippers, Cavs, 76ers, all those teams have tons of flexibility. And so, I mean, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens, guys. I'm uh, watching the um, draft combine right now. I love watching the combine, man, see which players can kind of make a name for themselves. So I'll have more for you all after the combine. I'll have a post-combine mock, but this is my pre-combine post-lottery mock draft. Go look at that on Twitter, tweet at me, let me know what y'all think. Tweet me y'all's mock drafts. I love seeing what everybody's thinking. But thanks for tuning in for the show, guys. Once again, uh, tomorrow got hopefully Kobe back on here. We'll talk some baseball along with some basketball. So lots of good stuff coming up here for y'all. I got him on the end of the rice. The home and the ran with the dinosaurs. Every week I change my clouds. Gotta fit in this store in my house. Gotta build and go rush my house. Gotta wash up my wrist cause a house. My bitch can't sleep in my house. Make a sleep at the hotel now. And when you talk me, you talking on cap. And your diamonds ain't looking like tap. I was always looking for the pouch. Keep an army bitch in my lap.